you are listening to episode 193 of Shades Midweek. This is a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. My name is John Mark DeRoe, and we are recording this podcast live from Three Stream Studios in Homewood, Alabama. It is a Wednesday, and I am joined by my good friends and co-hosts, Brad Brown and Jonathan Haves. So we are nearing the end of January. Has everyone held on to their New Year's resolutions, or or what? what's going on at this point, at this juncture? Well, I told you what my New Year's resolution was, right? I don't know. Remind me. It was to make no New Year's resolutions. All right. So you. So how are you doing with that? You know, you I good? think I think I got that from Louis Giglio. I think Louis Giglio did that. I hate New Year's resolutions. I don't even know. Why but I, I asked don't that. think it was New Year's. I think it was Lent, and I I think he was like, "This year I'm giving up, giving up." <laughs> and it was like, okay. <laughs> did uh, did anyone get to listen to the Nick Saban episode from last week with Grant? Well, well hang on, I didn't get to talk about my New Year's resolution. <laughs> uh, well, we, no, no, no. Brad just said we're not doing it, so thrown out the window, dude. Yeah, well, no, Jonathan can speak to it. You know, I well, I I too like tend to like make fun of New Year's resolutions. Everybody and, makes fun of New and, Year's resolutions. And when I was younger, I'd be like, I don't do New Year's resolutions. I just make decisions about new goals I want to set. <laughs> it's like that's what I love that distinction. That's what they are, Jonathan. <laughs> so I just gave up on all of that. No, um. So the big one. So, uh, I I told everybody I I joined a gym. You know, when I turned forty, trying to get my physical health. That's right. Order, Midlife crisis. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That all of that. I also bought a Corvette recently. <laughs> um. No, but within the last several months, I did. Why, two, is Jonathan, <laughs> why is Jonathan wearing leather pants all the time now? Oh, my word. But, uh, no, so so health-related, I – this is bigger than just health-related. I um I don't like the thought of being dependent on anything. Maybe that says something about me as a person. I don't know. Like, mm. I, don't, I don't want anything, like, controlling me. I was going to say control. Yeah. So um, I decided that this year – for the entire year, I was going to drink nothing but water. Um, I have a bit of an extreme personality. <laughs> I was going to say the whole year. Yeah. So now, now I there are two things that are okay as an exception. Communion. One, okay, three things that are okay as an exception. <laughs> Communion is okay. Um, but uh, if I'm having cereal, like that's fine. Like I can have milk in my cereal kind of thing. Um, and then... <laughs> Uh, orange juice at breakfast is fine. Orange juice at breakfast is fine. But yeah, this so, is not drinking only water. So, well, here's the big deal. Here's the big deal. The big deal is that since the coffee. year rolled over, I haven't had a cup of coffee, man. That's good, mm-hmm. man. I haven't had any soda. I haven't had any coffee. I haven't had That's any good. of those kinds of things. Wow. So yeah. So no caffeine would really be more. So I'm curious. Would you put hot water in a cup, or is that too close? Are you trying to just completely remove yourself? I'd be fine with drinking a cup of hot water. I haven't done it yet this year. I did that for a little bit. When I <laughs> did st- you? Yeah, when I stopped caffeine, <laughs> just to try to trick my mind. And it worked. It made me feel better. It made me feel more comfortable. Brad, I honestly, I've been pretty fine. Um, I miss it more in the afternoon than I do oh, in the morning. Yeah. Uh, but yesterday, uh, we had a meeting, and Brad comes in. With this massive cup of coffee, it was like a gallon of coffee. It was big, um, and the smell just filled my being, 
and I all of a sudden felt like an addict going through withdrawal. So I was like, oh, that smells so good. <laughs> all right, I'm done. We can move on. Talk oh, about Nick man. Saban. Well, I wanted to make a correction because, well, actually, wait a minute. Now I'm now I'm rethinking the correction that I was going to make because maybe I'm not going to make a correction. I think in the in the podcast, I said that Auburn had only beaten Nick Saban <clears throat> in 2007, 2010, 2013, and 2019, but I omitted 2017. So I just want to correct that that Auburn did win that game. Wow. I was going to bring that up with Um, you because I definitely caught it. But I think Grant, he said the correct record, I think, but we didn't fact check any of the stats that we threw out there. So (laughs) who knows what happened in that podcast? Well, you asked if we had listened to it, and I think think we know the answer to this situation. So, Brad, have have you you listened to it? You and Tanisha did not listen to it. Listen, I'm going to listen to it, but I have a good reason. The reason was because last week I was catching up on episode 190 with Abortion one? Recovery Alabama. Okay, oh, excuse. wow. And what a powerful episode mm. to, mm. to hear those women speak about the ministry and then the courage and the vulnerability for them to share their own stories yeah. was, was so beautiful and powerful and so... Yes. Yeah. What a, what a little awesome. more important than <laughs> right. Yeah. A <laughs> little, little bit of a shift there. Oh, my what word. What a great episode. Um, but I will catch up on um, Nick Saban college football well, and more and with Grant Prima. Confession, I am not done with oh, the episode. Oh, okay. Okay, here we go. I'm mm-hmm. about, listen, it takes a minute, okay? An hour I'm, and 16 minutes. I'm about halfway through it. I've got several things that I listen to in my car, and I have to, so, I have to juggle what, around Was there any things. argumentation? Was there any back and forth? I'm thinking like we just kind of jabbed each other a little bit about our about the teams that we. What's love. the that show with like Skip Bayless and, and where they're just yelling at each well, other? Well, Shannon the Sharp time. Shannon Sharp used to be on that show. He's not anymore. He's on a different network now. But yes, that w- it it wasn't that intense. He also has a podcast. That's what Maybe I was hoping can, for. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> we, can, we cannot bring that up right now. <laughs> If you don't know what we're talking about, that's okay. If you know, you know. <laughs> yes, it's a cultural moment. <laughs> it is a cultural moment, well, which means we need to cover it on this podcast. We I, should probably do a whole episode about it. <laughs> Andrew Thompson was not buying anything that we were telling him about. All right, podcast. we've got to move yeah, on. We gotta move either on. we're going to tumble There's down this much. hole, or There's too much, or well, people are just going to be like, "What? What are y'all talking about?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, too much. Well, okay, let's move on. Let's. Uh, <laughs> We, I mean, we could, we could talk for there's, hours. Yep, there's you too know, much. There's just so many things we could go. Let's do it. Let's do an album. James album of the week. The smile, featuring Johnny Greenwood and Tom York from Radiohead. This is their side project. It's their sophomore release. The album is called Wall of Eyes. This track's called Wall of Eyes. Shocker. It sounds like Tom York and Johnny Greenwood and Radiohead. (laughs) I will say there are some crazy songs on this album. Uh, They always seem to go beyond their own boundaries a little bit and 
try some new things. So you can always count on that with any release that any of these guys do. But no Radiohead for a long time now. It makes Man, you wonder. Makes you sad. I think the drummer has done like his own side project too, and I oh. know the other guitar player has. Like I think they all kind of have their own things going on. Do they not realize that it, whatever they do, it's not going to be as good? Yeah, I, I do like the album. I mean, it's but good. Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's like good. a nice entry into the canon. It's yes. It, but I mean, you but hear it. God put them on this <laughs> earth to be together and make music. It's, it seems clear to me. They do enjoy making music together, at least uh, particularly that, York and Greenwood do, I the mean, singer and the guitar player. This would be a fascinating conversation. Is there ever someone from a band who has broken off? Oh, yeah. Like a band that was awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and broke tell you off, right now. Uh, and it was better Steve. individually. Oh, no, it was better. Sorry, you, I, th- I, I thought you were just going to say it was successful. I just, just like, you were oh, say man, better. that I, band that was awesome, when that dude, when they broke away and did their own thing, that was better than the awesome Beyonce, band. Destiny's Child. <laughs> okay, that would be a good that's, example. That's true. <laughs> wow. Well done. Um, that would be a good example. I wouldn't say this is better, but on equal footing, Paul McCartney's solo albums are up there with the Beatles releases. Wow, a hot take. That is a hot take. I mean, that they're feels classic. like a hot take. It's not. We're going to lose listeners. It's <laughs> <laughs> I would say his solo stuff is just as good as the stuff that he wrote with the Beatles. Okay. Um, George Harrison's stuff, I think, one of his albums in particular. I'm trying to think. There's some other examples. Peter Gabriel used to be in Genesis. When he left Genesis and started his solo career, his solo career is really great. Just as good, too. There's, yeah. There's examples. There's examples. Phil Collins. Um... Tarzan, his stuff. Beyonce, that was a, that was a quick one. That, I, I like that answer. I like the Beyonce answer quite yeah. a bit. Oh. There's probably some others we've missed. J- yeah. JT, Justin Timberlake. New JT, album coming out in March. JT. Did y'all know Justin that? Justin Timberlake. New For album. Justin. Coming, I, yeah. I yeah. I listened no to a single. I really didn't care about it. The but. reason I know that <laughs> is because he was the musical guest on uh, SNL this week. Which, oh. Which means we got our first rendition in ten years of the Barry Gibbs talk show. So I don't know if y'all are familiar with that sketch. It, yes. Uh, but Justin Timberlake and Jimmy Fallon have done that sketch probably, I don't know, this might have been their fifth time wow. doing it. Um, but anyway, sorry. So yeah, JT, new album coming out. Now, did he perform? He did. With um, his band? He, w- the- he, wasn't, he wasn't hosting. Um, he was just the musical guest, but he was in a sketch. What's um, his band called? Like I the can't Nash- remember. But they Nashville did. They performed. Something? They performed two songs because his band is incredible. The oh, yeah. first, uh, one of the songs they performed is the single that JM was talking about um, that he didn't care for. The <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just I to listen, remind everybody, I listened to it one time. I was like, I don't um, know. The, big, big whoop. <laughs> the other song that he played um, is probably inappropriate lyrically on a couple of levels. <laughs> what do you mean, Jonathan? I didn't pay that hard of attention. It's just it's full of religious imagery, but none of it is remotely about religion. Um, yeah, but yeah. but kind musically, of a take it, me to church sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But musically, it was very different than the single that you listened to. It was, it, it dude, it was weird in the sense of it was one of the best. I felt like combining of musical genres that I've heard where it doesn't sound or feel like a mashup. I mean, there was like R&B and 
rock and all sorts of stuff just in this. I'd be interested to get your take on that song. Well, my the band thing, was incredible mm, for that song. Interesting, interesting. My thing for pop musicians and pop stars in general is they're so talented, and sometimes they wrap up their whole thing with kind of the the poppy production and all of that stuff. And so I've always wanted Justin Timberlake to do just something that was just more raw and just like sure. when you listen to the record, it's like no programming, no drum loops, no crazy synthesizers, just like something that showcases his voice, like his vocal efforts. Like Lady Gaga's done that before. Like she did that with the stars born and some other stuff. And even Miley Cyrus has done some of that. And I just, I, I, I appreciate about, I it. her Metallica cover. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it when artists are like, I'm not doing the pop thing. I'm like going to show you what I can T pain. Yeah, yeah, T-Pain's great example yeah. of, you know. So, yes. that's that's kind of what you I want to see from JT. JM wants, like, just a covers album, acoustic <laughs> covers album featuring your voice. That's what he wants. <laughs> oh, all right, Brad. Yep, I got a book. a book. Is this the new Bradford's Book Club intro? I mean, I know what it really is. Welcome to another episode of Bradford's. <laughs> Jonathan's not good at, at at playing along. Bradford's Book Club. This year, we're continuing the class and sophistication of Bradford's Book Club. Don't you just picture yourself in a room filled with books, a fire, a leather couch, a cup of tea, just enjoying the hot mountain water. view or hot water for some who are psychotic. Well, we're starting off the year right. Uh, we're starting off a book about conflict. Conflict specifically in marriage. If you are married, if you are married, if you are married, you get into conflict with your spouse. If you say you don't, you are a liar. Everyone has conflict. And so we all should check out this book. I know John, Mark, and Jonathan are because they fight all the time with their spouses. <laughs> this book, Fight Right, How Successful Couples Turn Conflict into Connection by the Gottmans is hot off the press. John and Julie Gottman, who I have named the godfather and godmother of couples counseling, have come out with a book that separate the masters, what they call, the masters of relationship from the disasters of the relationship. And in this book, they talk about how the masters of relationship fight in a way that leads to deeper connection in the relationship. And so the question is, how do you have conflict in your relationship in a way that doesn't lead to disconnection or isolation, but rather greater intimacy, connection, and enjoyment? Well, the Gottmans are going to show you. And so I thought I would just read one thing. Would y'all be interested in one little section you might find intriguing? They're both nodding. Listen, after what you Sitting. said about us fighting with our wives, we're just both going to hang you out to dry right here, okay? <laughs> it It's really funny because anytime I think about you know, uh, using a conflict between Jordan and I in a sermon or getting up and f speaking in front of the church or something, I feel internally this need to be like, 
hey everybody we're okay everything's fine over here just part of the the nature of the relationship you know everything's all right you, you don't need to come up and ask me afterwards so at the end the the Gottmans have this little section called the fight right quick guide and so they have little points that they take you to and I thought number two would be interesting so the second point they say is stay collaborative in the midst of an argument. And they say, if you're getting flooded, what do they mean by getting flooded? Um, when, what they mean by getting flooded is our bodies go into a state of fight or flight. And when that happens, when our autonomic nervous system does that, uh, we lose the ability to have conflict resolution. We lose the ability to have emotional regulation. And we lose the ability to process information. And this is where fights escalate and people go, you won't believe what he said to me or you won't believe what she said to me, right? So flooding can feel like a racing heart, shortness of breath, tightness in the body, spinning thoughts. You might feel really hot might look like lashing out, attacking, criticizing, shutting down, stonewalling, all right? And so what did the Gottman say to do if this is happening? It's very complicated. They say you need to take a break. Research shows 20 minutes can allow you to ha change and be in a completely different physiological state. And I think our experience shows this. Maybe you've been in a conflict with your spouse and you're, all, you're going back and forth. You can't reach any resolution. And for whatever reason, maybe you walk into church <laughs> Sunday morning, right? And now you're around people. Hey, how's it going? Oh, we're doing great. You know, whatever. You pause, you calm down, and then you come back again. And you go, hey, I'm sorry. I, right? It happens all the time, right? So the Gottmans say, take a pause, 20 minutes, the important thing is that you come back and talk about it. But if you can get back to a calmer physiological state, you'll have a much better chance at listening to one another and reaching resolution in the conflict. Fight Right by the Gottmans. Check it out. See, we should have started with that. You know. When I said... Fight right, boom, right at that right at that chorus, John Mark. I know. We need a new producer. <laughs> well, can our current producer take us on a trip down to the email corridor? The email da, 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 corridor. Real quick, before we get to the larger email at hand, Doug Abernathy emailed me, but this was more for midweek, really. I uh, thought I'd read this here real quick. Doug said, 2024 SVCC concert series. He says, hey, let me know what the budget needs to be to make this happen, and I'll see what I can do. Now, he sent me a link here in the email, the link, which I'm finding and pulling up now. Doug is the head of our finance team. <laughs> Doug is the head of our finance team. Let me see where, I, where this thing is. I'm just curious to know. Who it is that Doug wants to see in concert? Yes, Shades. Uh, okay, so here it is. Spence is killing. Here's the link. As I stall for JM. We've been talking about a lot of artists. It's T Pain, <laughs> and it's from his covers album. I don't know what he's about to say, so I'm just gonna fast forward that. 
This is what Doug wants to bring in for the 2024 SVCC Concert Series now. I've looked at the budget. I think we're going to need to double it. <laughs> and that's that would that would actually be our entire budget. <laughs> Staffing, the mortgage, everything. We'd probably need to at least double it, if not quadruple it. Yeah. And that may get us the band. So... <laughs> Uh, but I'm I'm with you. This this album is incredible. He released the uh, T Pain live version of the covers. So Doug, I'm with you, man. Let's make it happen. Let's see what we can do. What kind of fundraising can we do this year? So that was the uh, first email down here in the corridor. Thanks, Doug, for writing in. Well, we have another one that's actually been sitting down here for a little while. We we've had an interesting start to the year, and so we've had to put several emails on pause. Uh, so this one comes from January the ninth. From a frequent rider into the old corridor, one Tanisha Garnier. Very nice. The uh, subject line reads, Auld Lang Syne. Just got an exclamation point. I tried to tried to show that with you. I got that. I got that. <clears throat> Howdy, boys. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that made me laugh. Hope the new year is greeting you with kindness. It's been a while since my last email. Been without my laptop for a few months now. That feels like a story. Mm. Um, but I'm chilling at the illustrious O'Neill Library. Where's the O'Neill Library? The Emmett O'Neill Library, I think. Which one I is that? I think that's Mountain Brook, Crestline oh, Village. Okay. I'll fact check that while we're doing all this. The only it'd, it'd be interested to know what of the public library system you guys frequent, if any. The only ones I really ever hit up are... Um, the Hoover Public Library, and I do the Library in the Woods over in Vestavia. I have been to the Homewood Library on occasion, but not so much. Yeah, Outside I'm, of that, I'm usually going to hit up like if, a, a bookstore, like the Little Professor or something. Yeah, if it's the, the Emmett O'Neill Library located in Mountain Brook, renamed to O'Neill Library in 2020. Gotcha. Okay. I'm chilling at the illustrious O'Neill Library while uh, Ez enjoys a library program, so decided to drop a line. Below my signature, I've put together a list of my own. But before I get too far ahead of myself, two midweek show ideas. Number mm -hmm. one, the Preacher's Wives show should be hosted by Annabeth and Cassidy. I feel like I shouldn't have to defend that too much. Let's get it scheduled. Period after several of those words for emphasis. I agree, except for one thing. I want Tanisha to host. I mean, this is her hey idea. I think she would do a wonderful job. Oh. Number two, it has come to my attention that a pivotal record in my life turns 20 this year. We've listened to y'all talk about DC Talk, the good Sir Andy Squires, who we all remember Tanisha is a massive fan of. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Tay Tay, which I'm assuming is one of the many nicknames for Taylor Swift. Oh, <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> I was like, it wasn't immediately I, obvious I to me. I, we I didn't get that right about. off the bat. Yeah, T Swift. Sorry. Yes. Uh, I think we'd be remiss to pass up the opportunity to dissect the lyrics, music video, and pivotal SNL performance of "Pieces of Me," made popular by Diana Ross's daughter-in-law and Pete Wentz's baby mama. <laughs> The incomparable Ashley Simpson. Yes. A true defining moment in pop punk history. I'd be happy to hop on a call 
or come in the stew to chop it up with y'all on all things Mrs. Simpson Ross. Yes, it would have to be a whole episode. Have your people call my people tea. How many years ago is that? It would have to be a whole episode. Oh, oh, not you're talking about the SNL thing? I don't know about the SNL thing, but apparently the album uh, turns 20. So, yeah, we do uh, anniversary uh, album episodes every now and then. And Tanisha brought this idea up to me, and I told her, I was like, you should okay. you should email in. She said, I, I told her, I was like, the only way we could make that happen is if you came in to help, just like we had to have help That's for right. the Taylor Swift episode. But, um, but think about it, because then you could get into the Simpson family and Jessica Simpson. I'm, and, I'm here right? for He it. was a pastor, wasn't he? Yeah, he the was. Simpsons had, yeah. ooh, there'd be a lot there. Listen, I'm here for it. I don't know if John Mark looks too stoked. Yeah, so she performed on <laughs> SNL in October of 2004, so this is the 20-year anniversary of, of her lip, lip-syncing wow. debacle. Yep. So and I thought the, I'd do a hoedown. Uh, okay. Yeah, the hoedown dance. Uh, I did watch the show and had the album, so we talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I had the album. I had the CD. Our yep. people you will contact your people, Tanisha, and we will get this thing on the books, and we will make it happen this year. I want to see it happen. That's one of our music episodes. Underneath Tanisha's signature, she does list Tanisha's top things of 2023, which include books and music and shows and some other highlights of the year. However, due to how long our intro has already gone on, we are going to save that for next week because I want to read everything she has to say here. I don't just want to list off. She gives comments on all of the books and shows and things like that. And you took the time, Tanisha, to write it in. So we want to take the time to read it and give it the attention it's due. I love it. We will save her 2023 list for next week, and we will read it at that time. No one has ever accused us of brevity, I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Not guilty. (laughs) Oh, man. But, yeah, we do have a hard stop for some of us today, and so that's why we do have to keep rolling on. And we're going to head into our main uh, chunk of the episode. And I don't know if, I mean, we could classify this as a Pastor Facts episode, Pastor Frequently Asked Question. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. I don't know if Pastor it's at the, Facts. Yeah, I don't, know if, I don't know if it's at the top of the list of Frequently Asked Questions. Uh, but we're going to talk about church discipline. Yay! <laughs> and there was much rejoicing. I think church discipline is great, Jonathan. I don't oh, know why you're bemoaning my word. right now. Um, I'm just saying, I don't think it's everybody's favorite topic of conversation. Like, hey, y'all, let's talk about church discipline. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, we've been making our way through 1 Corinthians, and this uh, subject comes to the forefront in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, because in this passage, Paul addresses a situation that's happening in Corinth where there is a man living in sexual immorality, and he basically says, hey, y'all need to bring this guy under church discipline, and Paul calls for excommunication. Now, we're not going to rehash that entire passage here. If you want to hear that, you can hop over to the sermon podcast link, and you can listen to all of that there. What I wanted to do here uh, was more talk through some of the things that we didn't really get to explore very much, which is really where a lot of people's questions lie, which is, okay, I hear the biblical argument, the biblical justification, all those kinds of things, but what does this look like practically, like on the ground? Like how how do you do this thing called church discipline? Mm. And I'll, I'll just, I'll start out with just kind of a basic of what church discipline is, because maybe you didn't hear that sermon or you've never really heard or talked about church discipline. And so what do we even mean when we're saying this term? 
Well, we, we start off with the fact that discipline is part of discipleship. So I think if you've been around church culture for any length of time, you've heard the term disciple and discipleship. Uh, and we think of discipleship as just growing in our faith of uh, learning more, uh, becoming more like Jesus, being discipled is other people pouring into our lives in such a way as to help us more faithfully follow Christ and reflect Christ to the world. Uh, but you can hear even in the word disciple <clears throat> or discipleship, it's the same root word as discipline. Um, and discipline has uh, a positive and a negative side to it. There, there are two sides, or, or a better way to say it is it has a formative and a corrective side. So the formative side of discipline, or we could say the formative side of discipleship, uh, is teaching, instruction, being shown the way in which you should go. The negative side or the corrective side is when you make uh, an error or you're not going the way you should go, well, that gets corrected. So let's think about it like under the, uh, maybe maybe we'll just use a, a school subject as an illustration. So like say math. You know, whenever you go into like your college major or whatever, your field of study, people will call that your discipline, right? That's your area of discipline. And that's because these two things are happening as you learn uh, to uh, to become an expert in your field. Uh, there's formative instructions. So like if I'm studying math, I'm being taught <coughs> um, all my theorems and how to uh, uh, solve my equations and all these kinds of I'm being given instruction. That's formative. Uh, but then as I work through problems, uh, my teacher or professor is also correcting. They're showing me where I made mistakes and showing me how to correct those mistakes. So that's the corrective side. Um, we could apply this to parenting. Parenting is formative and corrective. Well, that's what we mean when we talk about discipleship within the faith, within the churches. There is a formative side to discipleship, and that, that tends to be the thing we primarily think about when we think about discipling somebody. But there is a corrective side. You know, uh, even if you're talking about one-on-one discipleship, part of part of someone who's discipling me, part of their role in my life is to point out ways I stray uh, from Christ and to help me uh, understand why those things are straying from Christ and the direction that I should go. That's a, a corrective side. So when we talk about church discipline, uh, we're talking about that corrective side. Uh, it's a formal name, if you will, for when the church collectively has to get involved in correcting uh, a saint that is wandering in a significant way uh, from, from the faith. So church discipline is a formal way of talking about uh, the church warning a brother or a sister who is, who is erring. Um, so, Jonathan, can I make a point? Yeah, here yeah, go ahead. That isn't necessarily connected to what you're saying. It is, but I was thinking about it as you were talking because uh, you spoke in the sermon about how it uh, goes against our culture, and right. it does in it in the sense that it goes against um, kind of the individualism that we operate, and you don't have a right to speak into my life. You don't know what's best for me. Uh, you can't really hold me accountable. How dare you? In right. that sense, kind of like it. I'm the, I'm the boss of myself. Exactly. Nobody I, else. My truth is my truth. I know. Yes, yeah. I know my own good. I determine my future. All that kind of stuff. And you're exactly right. And it does. 
But then simultaneously, simultaneously, right? We live in a culture that I don't know if the word I want to use is institutions, but there is this calling out for institutions to hold people accountable for their actions. And so there's a sense in which when somebody does something wrong, I mean, I'm not thinking of a specific example, but just more generally, and this isn't exactly similar to church discipline, but I think you get the idea. When somebody does something wrong or a behavior that's harmful to society or what have you, people will ask, has the institution done anything that they're a part of, right? Has there been an investigation? Is anyone holding them accountable? Is there going to be any is there going to be any consequences for their action? Right. And if there's not, then people will look at institutions and say, the institution isn't responding correctly. They need to address this. They need to, uh, correct, be, you know, corrective or discipline or whatever. Now there's a million other conversations underneath that in a million different, uh, situations and examples that you can think of. But, But just to say that I think outside the church, but even within the church, right, churches are now being called uh, to respond to abuse in appropriate ways. And there have been, uh, and I hope I'm not getting ahead, and I was trying to look and see if this might be a good time to talk about this. No, no, you're totally fine. You're totally fine. Um, But just to say, I do think it's odd in some sense just because of the word and because it does grate against that uh, individualism. But then at the same time, I think it's something that we as a society and even for Christians long for and desire and need to exist in healthy communities. Right. right. Can I, can I add something yeah, on the ahead. individualism side? And this is this quote made me think of it because we kept saying like live your truth and those types of things. Justin Gibney tweeted out the other day, this is more about Christian influencers, but I think it kind of speaks to some of the individualism that we've, we've gotten into some here, but it says, uh, some Christian influencers' entire ministry is basically telling people to, quote, live your truth and, quote, do you. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. Sounds more like do what thou wilt, which is literally a quote from Satanist leader Aleister Crowley. <laughs> that was the uh, <laughs> that was the tweet there. And yeah. that's this kind of standard intensity that you would love have, from, yes, Justin from Justin Gibney. Right, yes, yeah. very, very intense. So good. Well, even even, but yeah. the idea of like Christian influencers and all that. I mean, that plays into like our individualism as well. Yes. So the idea that as a Christian influencer who is putting myself in literally a pastoral role, because what I'm doing is I'm shepherding people, right? Mm-hmm. Or whether we want to talk about kind of like the independent Bible study movement, where like I'm I'm trying to become kind of like an influential Christian author or whatever. Any of that mm-hmm. that's taking place detached from the church, detached from any kind of denomination or organization or institution, like you were saying, mm-hmm. that would have a voice of holding me accountable for the things that I say or the things that I teach or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, all of that grates against our individualism, right? Yeah. Like, like I mean, I have been told before, like in a, in a counseling situation, uh, I, I, I've a premarital counseling situation, not with anybody that's in shades. <laughs> I have been told before when asking questions um, about uh, like a living situation or sexual activity or any of these kinds of things, um, that's nobody's business but ours. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that, I mean, that's that individualism that's coming. The church has no right mm-hmm. to speak morally into my life. 
yep. in any way. You know, but Brad, I totally hear what you're saying as well. And our culture, I mean, I think there's a, a multitude of examples of ways we could point out that our culture holds contradictory values simultaneously. Yes. You know, right? Um, yeah. But one of the things that's interesting to me and this isn't true in the major in, in all cases. I'm not saying that. There's obviously exceptions to the rule. But even in the calls for uh, accountability from our culture writ large, mm-hmm. one of the distinctions between those and church discipline is they are almost always only punitive. Mm-hmm. We just want to see punishment. Sure. Yeah. You know, whereas the aim of church discipline is redemption mm-hmm. and redemptive. You know, it's not to excuse and say there are no consequences, especially if you're in a matter of criminal legality, right? So you mentioned, right, right. like, abuse. Like, it's not like, oh, well, we just want the abuser to be redeemed and not suffer any consequences. No, no, like, all of that, absolutely, people need to be held accountable, and there are consequences for sin, and those can even include legal consequences. And that is that is a good thing, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, the aim is more than that. Like, yep. The aim is repentance, and the aim is redemption um, and restoration and... So, and that will look different situation to situation, but specifically formal Mm. church discipline, one of the things I tried to emphasize on Sunday is it doesn't happen every single time we encounter a Christian committing sin. Because, I mean, if we're all honest, I mean, we we all sin constantly, all the time. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Everything I do, pretty much, is tainted in some way, um, and so I live in a in a repentant posture, right? Um, a posture of turning from myself and turning towards Christ and embracing Him. Um, yes. Specifically, church discipline is about when there is unrepentant sin. So I'm committing some kind of sin um, that I am then is brought to my attention. Maybe I'm ignorant of what I'm doing. Maybe I'm a young believer, and I don't know. I mean, that's that's going to be the case for some of the Corinthians that Paul addresses. Um, or maybe I do know. But, but whatever, it's brought to my attention, and instead of being convicted by the Holy Spirit, repenting of my sin, and turning to Christ, I resist that. And I live in, in unrepentance. And that's when we enter into the formal process known as church discipline. And this looks a little different at different churches. And that's one of the kind of the main questions that people have is like, what does this look like on the ground? And where everybody goes, uh, rightfully so, to try and lay out a process for church discipline is they go to Matthew chapter 18. Um, Matthew chapter 18 uh, is Jesus laying out what to do when uh, a fellow Christian sins against you. And I think some of the important principles uh, from Matthew 18 that we need to see is, one, there there is a principle of keeping it as small as possible. Like, the goal of church discipline is not to publicly, public, shame. Yeah, publicly yeah. shame and publicly flog people. Like, Jesus says, the first thing you do is you go to your brother or sister individually and you talk with them. You know? Now, Maybe you feel like, I don't know what to say. I need some wisdom. I think that's okay, but don't go taking a poll of 50 people throughout the church. Seek out one wise leader, one wise person who uh, maybe they are a leader in your church, like an elder, 
um, or maybe they are just a, a wise voice, a mature Christian voice in your life. But don't go to a whole bunch. Of, you want to keep it as small as possible. And so Jesus says, first you go to them individually. <clears throat> and if at that juncture they're unrepentant, then he says you return to them taking along one or two others. That's, that's a principle that comes from the law. Like basically at this point, we are now moving out of the realm of kind of just personal, interpersonal relationship, and we're moving into something that's more formal. We're beginning to involve the church. And when I say this comes from Old Testament law, on, in Old Testament law, uh, in, in court proceedings, you weren't supposed to accept a charge unless there were like two witnesses. Um, you, you needed two witnesses to validate a charge kind of thing. Um, and so that's what Jesus is saying is like, okay, if they won't listen to you, then you take along other voices that can cooperate what you're saying, you know? And so, so that they're not in a situation anymore where it's like, oh, it's just my word against yours. That's your opinion kind of thing. It's like, no, here are some wise brothers and sisters. We all love you. We all care about you. And we all see this and we are, we're pleading with you to turn from what we see is actually damaging you. Maybe it's damaging your family, damaging the church, and and come to Christ because we love you. You know, Paul mm. emphasizes the fact in 1 Corinthians 5 that this, anytime we're in a, a church discipline situation, it should produce mourning in our hearts, grieving. This is not us being joyfully judgmental. <laughs> um, of like, ha-ha! I finally caught Brad in something. Now I get to shove it in his face. Well, what came to mind, and once again, this isn't a perfect analogy, but I'm thinking about an intervention, an intervention with right. someone that's dealing with addiction. Right, yeah. And I think that's just another example of how our culture see has this practice or has this, um, what, this aim and goal and sees the community coming together in a corrective fashion, but in a loving fashion, actually being for the good of the individual, mm. even if the individual can't see it themselves. Yeah. And so uh, I think that's just another example. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Well, if, P- if they won't listen, like Jesus continues on in Matthew 18, like if they are still resistant and unrepentant at that point, uh, that's where he talks about you You bring it to the church. We're going to talk about what that means in just a minute. Like what does it mean that you you bring it to the church? But for now, just know that's that's the next step is we're we're getting. Does it involve social media, John? <laughs> I'm crying over here. I just died a little on the inside. Yeah. No, um, we'll talk about what that means in just a second, Brad. Okay, uh-huh. good, good. I need to know. <laughs> but the the next step is is getting the institution involved. That it's reached that level of formality now, um, and. If they and, and so this is the, the the church as an institution saying we see this too, and and the reason this is supposed to carry so much weight is when you become a member of a church, it's it's the institution as a whole that hears your testimony of I'm a believer in Jesus. Here's how I know Jesus. Here's how I know I belong to Jesus. And the institution as a whole says yes, we hear that. And we affirm that. That's what we see in you and true of you. And you want to be a member? And we say, yes, we receive you. It, it, 
I emphasize that because here's kind of what's funny. We've kind of in our, uh, again, this, this goes to our modern individualism. We've kind of flipped the idea of church membership on its head where the way we conceive of church membership is I go to a church and I'm seeing if the church ticks off all of my boxes. Mm. And when I join a church, that's me saying I approve of this church. And that's, that's not, <laughs> that's not church membership at all. Church membership is the church examining your confession of faith and saying we receive you into our fellowship. And so this is why when a church then, the church whose collective voice has affirmed your confession of faith, this is why it's supposed to have so much weight. When they call you to repentance, it's that collective voice saying we are mourning over what we're seeing because we're seeing something different than what you confessed. And and. We believe your confession is real, and if it's real, then you should repent. And so we're calling you to that. We want to lovingly embrace you and see these relationships reconciled, all of those things. Mm. Did, did the, you have something you are going to well, say? Well, I don't want to jump ahead, so tell me if we should talk about this now or maybe just in a second. But I think one of the challenges, too, in modernity is when it comes to speaking into other people's lives, it often happens in the context of very close relationships. Right. And that can be uh, very often family Mm -hmm. or close friends. But in our modern context, a lot of times the family or the close friends aren't members at our local church. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're totally going to get yep. to that. Some of the challenges that we face with practicing church discipline yes. uh, today in our mm-hmm. in kind of our modern context. For sure. Yep. Bring okay. that back up if I don't yep. if I don't get there. <clears throat> but to 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 finish up uh Matthew 18. Basically, if if they won't listen at that point to the church, Jesus says you are to treat them as a tax collector uh or He's basically, or Gentile, basically he's saying you're to treat them as not a part of the people of God, as someone who is in rebellion, as someone, you're to treat them like they're lost. And this is classically what has been called uh, excommunication. And here's the purpose of this. Excommunication is meant to be a warning. It's like we have exhausted all of the options that we have on the table. And all we have left is to warn you. Here's what we know to be true from God's word. What do we know to be true? That if you live your life in unrepentant rebellion, then you will not inherit eternal life. Now, is that works-based salvation? No. No, 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 no. Please do not hear me. I'm not saying that someone who's a genuine believer in Jesus Christ uh, can then lose their salvation or something of that nature. What I'm saying is that if someone embraces an unrepentant lifestyle and lives that way, then from the outside looking in, we have no evidence that they are an authentic believer. Mm. Everything we know is that their original confession must have been false unless they are brought to repentance. Because if the Spirit lives in you, the Spirit who convicts us, who leads us to Jesus, and you are wandering from Jesus, like everything I can see would lead me to believe your confession wasn't real. Mm. And that's what a church is saying in excommunications. They're saying, we did affirm your confession of faith, but we can't do that any longer because you're living in rebellion against Christ. And this is meant to be a huge warning because it's virtually a a miniaturized enactment of what will happen to the unrepentant on the final day. On the final day, the unrepentant will not be received as a part of God's people. And you can actually see this 
reflected in 1 Corinthians 5 and in 1 Corinthians 6. Um, because in both of those chapters, Paul lists uh, a vice list. Uh, and they're, they're virtually the same. Chapter 5, chapter 6, he lists off sexual morality, greedy, blah, 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 all of these kinds of things. And in chapter 5, as he goes through that list, he's listing off examples of unrepentant sin that would be reasons that the church would practice excommunication. But in chapter, in the next chapter, did I say chapter 5? That's what he's doing in chapter 5. In the next chapter, in chapter 6, he lists off the exact same thing as examples of those who will not inherit eternal life. And so what you see when you lay those side by side is Paul is saying, like, excommunication is meant to be a warning. Like, it's the final warning that the church has to offer. You know, we cannot say you're amongst us now. Mm -hmm. And if you live in this kind of rebellion, the Lord won't say you're amongst his people in the end. That's, that's the, the point. It's not, it's not meant to be this judgmental, holier than thou, we're better than you are, any of those kinds of things. We're holy, you're not. It's it's meant to be this loving, grieving, mourning effort, the, the last ditch, last card we've got to play um, of calling somebody back to Christ. Now, that leads to a natural question. <clears throat> okay, if somebody, if that happens, like, what does that practically entail? Stone them. Yes. Yes, that's what it practically does. <laughs> Just trying to keep, you know. Trying to keep it light by talking really, about stoning people to death. Really bringing in all my church discipline jokes. Oh, so my Really word. pulling from some deep crevices. So if Brad is completely unrepentant <laughs> and we excommunicate him from Shades Valley, <laughs> what does that practically mean? Because some, some of the ways that the text has been read uh, out of 1 Corinthians 5 and other places uh, by, by people throughout history is it leads to this practice of shunning. Of like I we we I have no contact with Brad anymore because he's been excommunicated and even if I accidentally run into him at Publix I act like he's not there you know like I'm in first grade and yep. and like oh did y'all hear something you know I thought I heard a voice uh, the the episode from I know the office. exactly what you, I knew John Mark started <laughs> laughing I knew exactly what he was thinking shun unshun shun <laughs> Dwight Schrute shuns Dwight. Andy Bernard. Oh, my word. Shun. Shun. Unshun. <laughs> oh, my word. Well, Sorry. The, yes. The reason that people... It, oh, go ahead. But Brad. No, I just say I think it's good to joke about because I think some people think that's what church discipline is. Right. And it seems so foreign and unrealistic and so so foreign to any of their lived experience as an evangelical Christian. Right. You know, not everyone, but... And so it's like, okay, well, let's just throw out church discipline at all. So I think the humor actually is helpful in right. correcting and saying Thank what you, we're Brad. not saying and what we're saying. Well, the reason that people... Call it satire. <laughs> there it is. The reason that people will think this uh, is because the specific thing that Paul goes to in 1 Corinthians 5 is table fellowship. He talks about you know not to even eat with somebody who's living this way. And so I think like... So we pull that into our context... context yeah. And we're like, well, man, like I can't go out to dinner with them, can't or I can't, with them. I can't be seen with them. You know, that must be what that means. And there are other places where Paul, uh, I, I can't remember the passage off the top of my head, but he literally says, um, "Have nothing to do with." Mm. Um, but even there, like I, th I think what's important to note is the specific situation uh, 
that Paul is dealing with because there will be discipline situations or there are sin situations that will call for different um, consequences. So, for instance, there are sins that people can commit in my life that would lead to them having, not being, not where I'm like shunning them and shame, but where they would have to be cut out of my life. So let's just go to an extreme example of child abuse. Mm-hmm. Like if someone abuses my kid, even if they come to repentance and I can forgive them and all of those kinds of things, they, they cannot come back into my child's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are going to be situations where Paul, depending upon what's happening in the particular situation, is going to say, hey, this will lead to a complete cutting out. Like, it, 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 and it has to. Those are part of the natural consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, well, go okay. ahead. No, I was just going to say, and, and I hate to keep using this illustration, but it, it uh, matches in so many ways. I'm thinking about addiction and how anyone that's had someone in their family that deals with addiction and they've done everything. They've gone to counseling. They've gone to the outpatient program. That wasn't enough. They then go to the inpatient program, right? I mean, there comes a point where they say, okay, we have to cut them off. And that can look different for everyone, right? But there are going to be at least at minimum boundaries that are set between the individual and them. And it's from a point of we've tried everything else, you're not listening, you're not hearing us, you're not seeing the harm that you're doing. And so the hope is that by being cut off from those that love and support you, that you will come to see. Being removed, you'll you'll come to see. Right. Now, th- that's a much larger conversation. There's a lot of nuance. But just to say that I think you see it there as well. It's the same kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just, I think that's important to keep in view is that the particularities of what this looks like sometimes often depend on the particularities of what's happening. Yes. And that's where we have this huge category within Christian theology known as wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. that that owns the fact that you can't just cookie cutter every single situation. Totally. But that, that doesn't change the heart of what Paul is saying. The heart of what Paul is saying is true in every uh, situation, in every instance. So, what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 5 when he says not even to eat with such a one becomes a little bit clearer in the book, uh, in the letter, later on in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, because there we get to see kind of a fuller picture of how the church practiced communion, which was part of a Very larger different. meal, yeah. right? And communion is in view in chapter 5, because if you read through chapter 5, Paul talks about uh, the way that Christians are called to celebrate Passover, And our celebration of Passover is communion. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast, which is communion for us. So all of these things are getting tied up together in what Paul is saying. And so what Paul's instructing this church to do is basically he's saying, okay, you're going to remove this brother from fellowship, from your midst. And part of that means he can't come to the table. He can't keep having communion. With y'all, this is why we call it excommunication, excommunion. You're being removed from communion, and throughout church history, the primary marker of excommunication means you couldn't take communion anymore. Mm. Um, and, and because communion is a table for believers, and if the church is saying we can't affirm that you're a believer, then then naturally the table is not for you. But the table not only 
says you're a believer in Jesus and, and, and we affirm that and you're welcome at the Lord's table, you're in peace with him. It also is a way of saying we're at peace with one another. We gather at this table together as a family. Um, and because this person is living in unrepentant rebellion, not only are they not at peace with God, they're not at peace with their brothers and sisters in Christ. So what I made an argument for in the sermon is Paul is calling for a change in the nature of the relationship. And so think about it this way. Like, if my child is living in active rebellion, that changes the nature of our relationship. I still love them. I still care for them. But that colors everything. It, and it, it colors my posture towards them, my heart towards them that's longing and desiring their repentance. We're not going to, like, sit down over dinner and just pretend like everything is absolutely okay. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying you can't, the nature of your relationship with this man has to change. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a nature of relationship that has a posture towards him that desires repentance, longs for him to come back, loves him, and and is willing to say, man, things are not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that Paul is instructing the Corinthians, hey, every time you pass this guy in the street, make sure you look the other way. I think he's saying, hey, when you engage with this brother, it's got to look different than it has, you know, yep. and he needs to hear your care, your concern, your call for, for him to come back. Yeah, because, I mean, there's kind of a silent approval that can happen if this person is participating in the community as normal. And so everyone might not be saying this is OK or I think this is OK. But everyone sees new people that come and see the community sees, oh, you can have these behaviors, you can act in this way, and nothing's really going to happen. Yeah, You can continue as normal. I actually think that's part of what is playing out in the end of chapter 6, which we're going to be in this Sunday. So in the end of chapter 6, Paul is going to be addressing uh, the Corinthians who are still practicing sexual immorality, and one of the ways they're doing that is sleeping with prostitutes. Yep. Well, what is leading these young believers to think that that's okay. Could a part of that equation not be the fact that you have this wealthy, prominent, socially elite, the kind of person that people would look up to who's living in this sexually immoral relationship and everybody knows it and nobody's saying anything. So, I mean, I mean, if he's doing that, then me doing this lesser thing over here on the side, that, I mean, because, I mean, if you read 1 Corinthians 5, he's involved in an incestuous relationship mm -hmm. with his stepmother. Yep. And it's like, you know, for the rest of the Corinthians, I mean, like, man, occasionally paying for sex, is that can't be nearly as bad as living in incest. And mm -hmm. so you can see how it, it infects and can spread and influence a community, especially believers who are young in their faith. Um, totally. And, and that's part of the reason that Paul uses the illustration he does in 1 Corinthians 5 of a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, it, it can affect the way a community overall um, sees uh, Christian morality and, and ethics. Totally. So, yeah, so, so, yeah, so that's, that's what excommunication looks like. I would say two primary things. Um, it looks like uh, a person can no longer come to the table. It's not, we're not going to bar them from Sunday service. Um. I mean, there are cases where that would happen, again, abuse cases, things of that nature. But, you know, we're, we're not, on average, going to bar them from Sunday service, but we are going to tell them, like, hey, communion 
is a meal for believers, you know, and you are living in a lifestyle that says that you're not a believer right now. You, you can't take communion. Um, and we're going to do that in a way that desires their repentance. So those are the two things I would point at primarily as kind of the main pieces of excommunication. It's, it's excommunion and it's a posture that is desiring and longing for, for repentance. So now to shift gears into where Brad was going to take us a little bit earlier. Um, there are some challenges to practicing church discipline today. Um, and, and I think what you were pointing out, Brad, earlier is, is noticeable when you, when you really focus on the fact it's church discipline. Like right. I think sometimes we can hear about this process and we can just be like, oh, this is what I do in any given situation at all times, anytime there is someone that I got an issue with. I do this whole Matthew 18 thing. And it's not that yes. it's not that Matthew 18, like going to them in private and then taking somebody else with you, it's not that that's not good wisdom for when you've got conflict. That's good wisdom. But the true process of church discipline, it's church. it can only unfold within the church. And that's part of the challenge today. There, there's, there's two challenges, I would say. The first one, let's talk about when... Uh, there are two believers who are in the same local church together. So again, Brad and I. And Brad has committed sin. It's always going to be him that's committed the sin in these examples. Um, of course. <laughs> um, and I go to him, and he doesn't listen, get some other people involved. What What is observed happening the overwhelming majority of the time that this process, what I've observed, and I, I don't know what you guys have observed, is that if someone is unrepentant and resistant and rebellious, they will just leave the church before this process gets to its end. Um, but yeah, they'll yes. and, and the reason they'll do that is because I can just go to whatever other church down the street. Yes. And that wasn't possible in the Corinthians context. Like this was the church in Corinth. This is the only one. <laughs> Yeah. Like, ain't nowhere else to go, you know. Um, it and and so there was almost an easier way of kind of applying what we're talking about, yes. you know. And even when you like move deeper into history and Christianity grows, um, this is not a plug for Catholicism, but <laughs> but you know when there was basically a singular institutional church in the West, again, this kind of church discipline was fairly easy and straightforward to practice because if your local parish that you were a part of excommunicated you, it excommunicated you from the entire institution. You couldn't go down wherever to the next Catholic church. You're like, yep. nah, man, you, you, from the whole gig. No online church yet. <laughs> right. So, um, so, so yeah, so there, there's a, there's a Protestant challenge to this yeah. just by the proliferation of Protestant churches and, and all, and I am, I am a Protestant through and through. I'm not so sure now, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> I have my suspicions. But this is one of the challenges. This is one of the, 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 the challenges of the modern way that, that we do church. Or even like you just mentioned, like maybe I don't go to a physical church anymore. Maybe I just watch online and I think that's part of being a church. That's a whole yep. other conversation. Um, cause it's not really being a part of a church. 
Uh, <gasps> but, but yeah, like, and so it presents a challenge of one, if somebody there, there's two ways to look at this challenge. If I'm taking Brad through, through this process and he decides to leave the church, I mean, honestly, like at that juncture, there's really nothing more I can do from an institutional standpoint, you know? Um, See, that's so freeing to me. <laughs> right? I mean, just in our human... See, you are Protestant. <laughs> I mean, in our human finitude, we cannot uh, but bear so much. Right. Right? And to have, in our age of social media, and in our age where we can be connected to so many people through Facebook and various online groups and organizations in the community, whatever it may be, to say like, okay, but the community that I've committed myself to, the community that I'm going to care about, the community that I'm under the authority of and will accept correction from is Shades Valley Community Church. Right. Like that kind of narrowing is is so life-giving to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Um, because we can't bear the weight of the other. Yeah. And I've seen people... Um, take almost a responsibility, a kind of church membership responsibility for anyone that claims to be a Christian or right. for just anyone that they know in their life, and it's absolutely crushing. Yeah. Because it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. You, and and this is another reason that I think I, that I am pro uh, local churches being smaller churches mm. um, because carrying out something like this does become even more challenging. Um. The, yes. the the larger a local church is, um, it does bring up the other question though of like what if someone so you, so we're saying that someone could just leave in the middle of this process and go find another church. Well, what if you're on the receiving end of that? Somebody shows up at your church because they were being taken through a church discipline process somewhere else, and they show up at your church. What what do you honor the other church's church discipline decision? Um. Some of that depends on your denominational context and what all of that looks like. When you're in a free church context like ours, what it looks like is each you've got a that local church has to evaluate on their own. Mm-hmm. So, like if someone came to us and let's say we were contacted by their former church of like, hey, they were living in rebellion and this kind of whatever situation, and they were removed from membership, you know, we would have to like take that into consideration, but we'd have to make our own call if they move forward to go through uh, the membership process. Yes. Shades. You know, one of the other challenges in a free church atmosphere is that we have what we call an open table uh, when we're talking about the communion table. Mm-hmm. So when we talked about being removed from practicing communion, you got to realize in a ton of denominations, even Protestant denominations, they practice closed communion. And what that means is that you have to be a member in good standing, which means not undergoing church discipline. You have to be a member in good standing of either that local church or that denomination, or you can't take communion. So, for instance, um, you go visit a Lutheran church, you you can't take communion. Um, I'm trying to think of others off the top of my head that practice closed communion. I I mean, I know, obviously, you can't take it at a Catholic church, you can't take it at a Greek Orthodox church, but I was trying to think of other Protestant denominations. Um, well, and it does depend on the particular church too, right, which sure. also leads to the messiness yeah. of it. But right, but that's called yeah. closed communion. And so, if you practice closed communion, then there's it's it's 
easier to quote unquote excommunicate somebody from the table. But when you're in a free church atmosphere like ours, um, we practice open communion, which basically means we tell people if you are a professing believer in Jesus, the table is open to you. You don't have to be a member of Shades Valley. You don't have to be a member of another EFCA church. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think that that's good and right, but it does make that practice of excommunication more difficult and more messy. Sure. You know? um, one other thing right here, one other challenge, and this is the one that you brought up, Brad. To, to practicing church discipline. And that is, um, what if I am in a situation where I've been sinned against by another Christian or another Christian's living in rebellion, but they're not a member of my local church. They're a member of uh, Iron City Church. Um, because clearly, you know, Isaac pastors over there, so that's where all the sinners go. Tons um, of church discipline <laughs> issues there. I'm, sh- I'm sure of it. Isaac is a good friend. He's been on the show. I'm picking on Isaac, obviously. <laughs> And he's never going to hear this anyway. (laughs) Um, But yeah, let's just say, um, you know, I've got a brother or sister that's a member of Iron City and an issue arises. Um, What does church discipline look like in that situation? I cannot take them through church discipline at Shades Valley Community Church. They're not a member here. They're not under the authority of the elders here or the leadership here or anything like that. If it is of such an issue that I think their leadership needs to know, then I can bring it to their leadership, you know? And, and I think that in that instance, you should follow the same steps. Like you should go to them one-on-one first. You should take another brother. And then you should let them know before you take it to their leadership that that's what you're going to do. But if it reaches that point and you do that, at that juncture, it is out of your hands because their church leaders are responsible for the implementation of church discipline in their in their church. And so at that juncture, it is it is out of your hands, which I imagine Bradford would again say and affirm is free. It's a beautiful thing. Yes. But I think too, you know, uh, one of the things that I think helps in our individualistic culture is that when you become a member at Shades, you sign up for this. Right. You say, and this is, see, it's so important to read the fine print, everybody. Which it's, we, not even, it's not even fine print, right? Which I mean, we it's should, there we on the document. Say, we should say all of the pastors and elders and deacons and deaconesses, like, we're all members of Shades, too. We signed right. up for this, too. Like, exactly. we can be held accountable. We can be brought under church discipline. Right. If I'm living in sin and I'm living in rebellion, then the elders are to call me to account. Um, anyway, sorry, Brad, I interrupted. No, totally. So I was just going to say that, you know, people are, when they become a member, whether they realize it or not, I'm just thinking about someone that I handed the membership paperwork to and they signed it and handed it back without reading it. You know, you just got to love the messiness of the local church. But in theory, um, you've read and signed up and said, okay, as a member, I'm saying I want you people to speak into my life. And yes, it's done in a way that's loving and kind and filled with truth, but I'm allowing you to speak in to my life. And so I think that's just another important piece in our, you know, kind of modern culture uh, to acknowledge that, that, hey, we're, we're signing up for this when we become a member. Yeah. Brad, you'd specifically mentioned under kind of that rubric of what if somebody's not a member of my church, you specifically mentioned family members. Which is a big one, right? Because yeah. I think the people we feel most comfortable speaking into are the people that are closest to us. Right. right. And here's what I would say. So, 
my brother was living in sin, living in rebellion. Um, and my brother lives in Chattanooga. I mean, he clearly is not a member of my local church. And you're saying your brother's a Christian. Yes, my brother's a believer. Yep. You know, um, I do think that, like, yes, I would bear responsibility to talk to him and all that. And maybe, there, and, and yes, there is wisdom to be found in Matthew 18 that can be helpful. But this is not church discipline. So in other words, when I say there's wisdom to be found, like I can go to my brother. My brother doesn't listen. I can go to him taking another one of my family members or whatever. It's like you talked about earlier with people doing interventions. Yeah. It's, it's the exact same idea, right? Um, or maybe if this is my own child who's living in my home, then maybe there does come a place where like I'm like, you can't live at my house anymore. And yeah. so there are some principles that feel similar right. to like a Matthew 18 situation or, you know, they're living in rebellion uh, against me. I mentioned earlier, like, we can't just sit down over a meal and pretend like everything's okay. There's some principles there, but it's not church discipline. Yes. You know, I, I'm not barring them from communion. I'm not like none of those kinds of things. Yes. And so it's, it's, it's very important to keep that. That's family discipline, you know, right. But, but it's very important to keep yes. those distinctions. I'm also thinking and Jonathan, maybe you can help me articulate this. I'm also just thinking about the distinction between, uh, a brother or sister that's sinning where it's sin in a situation where there's a different preference. Yes. And I think that's big. Yeah. Because a lot of times I think preferences come up. And so like, this is might sound like a dumb example, but I'm thinking about even some people I've talked to in the past where say my brother is going to a church and they um, uh, do contemporary music and not hymns, and I feel sure. like I need to sit down and talk with him about it. Right, right, right. right. I mean, that sort of issue, so, right? So there's a book uh, by a um, a counselor uh, called Brad Hambrick. You're familiar, you're familiar with Brad Hambrick? That's, I'm actually that writer. I just changed my last name. Oh, my word. So I wouldn't get any glory <laughs> because I'm so humble. He's, he's got a website, but there's a but book. But yes, I do, yeah. There's a book called Making Sense of Forgiveness, and one of mm. the early— Yes, I have that book. One of the early chapters of that book is helping you— sort through things that don't need to be forgiven. And he mm. talks about preferences. He talks about like things that annoy us, but it's not the other person sinning against us and those kinds of things. It's, it's a difference in preference or personality or what have not. And so, yes, I, I, I think those are vital distinctions to, to yes. keep in mind. Well, because I'm just thinking in our context and kind of a broadly evangelical um, denomination and a lot of people coming from well, we have a very diverse body. Sometimes people that use the word church discipline a lot, or sometimes people that do confront other people can be people that, what, do so wrongly or misuse the right. terms or weaponize the terms 100%. or are very rigid and judgmental. And I think that's what can be kind of a trigger warning for people when they hear church discipline is right. they think about those people. Right from their past and then they you know uh bring that all that baggage into the conversation which you mentioned in the sermon Jonathan yeah. well, but I think that's important to note as well. Well, I think I think that in a church where discipleship is happening formal church discipline should be insanely rare. Mm. You know, because if discipleship is happening then you're having small correctives. All yes. along the way, as you're teaching people the way of Christ, you're pointing the way they should go, warning them against the way they should not go, guiding them. Yes. You know? um, well, and I was even thinking about our situation compared to Corinth and just how, thankfully, 
we've had the church history years and years parsing out and articulating right. things and our statement of faith. <laughs> and then we have position papers on things, right. right? And we have lots of wisdom from the years that we can speak to various issues on and talk about what is what is sin, what is following Jesus. And so we have all of that, um, what, just within our community. Yeah. And that's that kind of formative that you're talking about. Right. That can lead to people, if they don't agree with it or they're acting that way and think it's okay, then they just leave because they already know from the sure. teaching, from the four-hour podcast that we do, <laughs> right, from our website, from various sermon series, what we believe. Right. So, Well, and, and I think one of the things that's really important to note from the letter of 1 Corinthians itself is Paul is going to it? Paul addresses people who are being prideful against each other, people who are who are insulting each other. He's going to address people who are sleeping with prostitutes. He's going to address brothers who don't care that some of their other brothers are offended by the fact they eat meat sacrificed to idols. He's going to address things they're doing in the context of the Lord's Supper that are inappropriate, neglecting the poor in their midst. He's going to address them abusing spiritual gifts. He's going to address all of these different things, and in one case. He calls for church discipline. Mm. Because what's happening in all of those other cases is what I'm talking about with normal discipleship. Like these other things have not reached the point where people are living in open, flagrant rebellion. Paul is in the first stage of, hey, that's not the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. Now, if they resist that, now we start moving into those other areas. And, and that's the big deal with 1 Corinthians 5 is this man is clearly living in open, flagrant rebellion. And that's probably, that's probably a good place to kind of shift into the last thing of like, what does discipline look like on the ground? And the first point that I want to make is that not everything moves to church discipline. You know, if, if Brad says something that hurts my feelings, you know, and I think that, you know, that was him sinning against me and he should repent of that. And I go to him and I tell him that. And Brad's like, dude, I don't even remember saying that or like, or what, like, I didn't mean it that way, man. You need to kind of loosen yeah. up. And I'm not satisfied at all with the way Brad has responded to me. Man, I was so drunk. I don't remember saying that at all. All right. That's a different situation, Brad. You're, <laughs> you're muddy in the waters. Um, <laughs> But, Continue. But in other words, like this is not Brad living in crazy, like open rebellion, rebelling against Christ in the way of Jesus and all of that. And here's what I would say is a more applicable sit, uh, scripture in that kind of situation. First Peter four and verse eight. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, I love Brad, and I know that Brad loves me. And we may disagree about what went down with this really little thing between us. Can our love cover over this sin? Can we fight right, one might, one might say. <laughs> right. Bringing it full circle. But anyway, yes. so formal church discipline, I, I just want to reaffirm, is for those specific situations of open rebellion against the way. Of Jesus. Yes. And can I just say that this is why church discipline and being vulnerable about our struggle with sin are not at odds with one another. Because getting up and saying you're struggling with something is an admission that this is something I don't want to do. I'm struggling. Right. I acknowledge this is wrong. I don't want to do this. And the response from us is not, oh, well, let's bring you in front of the elders, right? The response is, 
how can we help you support you in this? Yeah. Sit with you in this like Jesus does in the midst of in the midst of our sin. Right. I mean, let's get really nitty-gritty practical like if a brother confesses to porn usage. Mm-hmm. Um but like he is like this is sin. This is wrong. I know it's wrong. I'm repentant of it. I'm fighting it. Help me fight. Mm. That's a repentant heart posture. That is not a church discipline situation. Mm. Yes. A church discipline situation is uh I'm indulging in porn and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's fine. My marriage is fine. My wife needs to get over it. This is a church discipline situation. Like, it's just, they're very, very different. So so when we do enter into that, when I do approach someone in Matthew 18 fashion, I've already mentioned, try to keep it as small as possible. If you need to seek wisdom, just do it from one other person. If they won't listen, then you just take another person with you. What does it look like practically if they still won't listen after that? Like, if they're unrepentant after that, and I have to take it to the church. That can look different depending upon your context. Churches are going to apply this differently. It almost always at least means, at the beginning, taking it to the church leadership in some form. From that point, churches practice church discipline, that final stage of it, typically in one of two ways, either in a congregational way or in a leadership way. So a congregational way would be um, Jordan comes to me. She's taken Brad through Matthew 18. He's still in rebellion and all of that. And so she's reporting it to the elders. Like, I've done everything I can. I don't know what to do. We work with Brad. He's rebellion and, and still rebellious, blah, 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 all of that. A congregational way would be we have a some type of a congregational meeting where we bring this to the attention of the congregation. And if Brad's there, we as a congregation are calling him to repent. And if he won't, then the congregation literally as a whole votes to excommunicate Brad. Now, as harsh as that may say, it is meant uh, sound, it's meant to be a loving action and more for all the things that we've talked about. And I will say this, I do think that that is the most natural reading of 1 Corinthians 5. Like, Paul talks about when you come together and when you are assembled, you together as a body enforce this. You put the brother out. Like, like he envisions church discipline as something that the entire church participates in. As soon as I say that, I would also say this. When it comes to church governance, like how do we govern ourselves, I do think that there is space and room provided for variety. Um, you, you have all sorts of variety. The free church governs itself one way, Presbyterians another, Methodists another. And I think that there's space for that kind of variety. There's a reason I ultimately am in a free church, in a congregational church, but I do think there's space. Um, but one of the ways that uh, many churches have chosen to go with church discipline uh, and it is the way that Shades Valley goes. It's in our bylaws. If you read through our bylaws, the, the, it would take a bylaw change <laughs> to change this. Um, and that is we go the leadership route. In other words, if same situation, Jordan comes to us with Brad, and we as elders talk with him, confront him, and he's still rebellious, we don't take it to a church vote. The elders vote and decide to place Brad outside of membership. Now, we do involve the entire church in that we would then need to let the church know that that is what had happened and what the conclusion was and all of those things. And so we as a church together are longing and praying 
and grieving for, for Brad to come to repentance. And that is a way that we as a church are all participating in mm-hmm. that. Um, but those are kind of two different processes. So practically on the ground, that's what it would look like at Shades. You would go to this person. If they don't listen, you could take one, two others with you. If they don't listen, then you'd come to the elders. And the elders would reach out to them and try and sit down with them. Now, even amongst the elders, I'll I'll tell you this, um, even amongst the elders, it almost looks like the Matthew 18 process starts over. In other words, like if you bring it to the elders, what's going to happen is one elder who's close to it, maybe two, Mm -hmm. is going to reach out and try to meet with them first. And then, if they won't listen, two or three of the elders. And then, uh, all of us. And so, so even there, like, like, the point of that is the process is as slow as possible and as gracious as possible to try and do everything we can to to get someone to wake up and bring them to repentance. And this is modeled on what God himself does. So in Romans, I can't remember, I think it's chapter 3, do you not know it is his kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance. Mm. In context, what that passage is talking about is the fact that God does not just immediately condemn us. Like he bears with us. He's long suffering. He waits. He calls. He does everything in order to lead us to repentance. And that's his kindness towards us being slow to bring about judgment that we deserve. Mm-hmm. And so it's modeled on God's own kindness. Of, of trying to to be long-suffering with those who are in, in rebellion. Yeah. So I guess I would sum up this way. Uh, what Just with what I said earlier, formal church discipline should be rare if regular discipline is a part of discipleship. Um, well, and just to speak to that, and th- Jonathan, this might be an impossible question. I was trying to think through this. In regards to the process that you just spoke about, from beginning to end, we've been at Shades, I've been since, here since 2012, you've been here since 2011. That full process, I mean, how many times would we say that full process has happened? And I know there are situations where it's like kinda, or there are situations where the person um, uh, left the church, but just thinking about that full process. Yeah. Um, I've never seen it happen. Yeah, I've never seen somebody formally excommunicated, uh, and and that applies in every church I've been a part of in my life. I've never been a part of a formal excommunication. Um, I have seen many church discipline scenarios, and, and I'll be honest. Uh, yes, the most common church discipline scenario um, that I've seen has been adultery, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I've seen church discipline take place. And it typically ends in one of two ways. It ends in somebody leaving before that process can complete because they don't want to, like, they're, they're, they're dead set in their rebellion, and so they leave. Now, you can speak, when you said kind of, like, you can speak right. of that as a type of excommunication, you know, because they are going to be removed from membership at that point, mm-hmm. but they weren't able to, to go through the, the whole process. Yeah. Um. Or I have seen people come to repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've seen that happen on every level. I've seen it happen on a one-on-one, on a smaller group, and I've seen it happen when things did come to the elders. 
You know, I've seen people uh, repent. I've seen that happen um, here mm-hmm. at Shades. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so so formal church discipline, if you've got regular discipleship taking place, it should be incredibly rare. And my prayer would be that no Christian ever, that we at Shades never, ever have to experience um, that that really hard uh process it's mm-hmm. it's full process just like i think every yeah. parent prays they never have to experience having to have like a really hard discipline situation where it like you have to tell your kids something like you can't live at home anymore right or, or something like that. yeah you totally know, we all pray that's never the case mm-hmm. and um and i think that the best thing we can do to be preventative is to be loving each other well and pointing each other towards jesus not not doing what I've heard someone refer to as sin sniffing, <laughs> which is where it's like I've got a nose that's always smelling for who's sinning and where, and I'm calling you to correction all the yes. time. Blah, blah blah. No, I'm I'm loving you well, and yes. I'm pointing you towards Jesus. And if you're misstepping, I'm doing that in love and graciousness. And yes, so. and so much of this is a posture of the heart. Absolutely. And when you see it, you know it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all I got. So there it is. If you have more questions about church discipline um, that that we didn't get to or didn't answer, I mean, you can feel free to to email in midweek at shadesvalley.org. dot um, yeah. We do ask. Let, let me let me throw this out there. Uh, we do ask if you email us at Shades Valley. Do your best to keep those emails uh, brief. It definitely helps us. Uh, sometimes if they're longer, we have to kind of like self edit them and all of that because yeah. clearly we go for brevity on this show. Right. The <laughs> corridor is getting full. I mean, just yeah. full, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, email us, midweek at shadesvalley.org. I, I hope this has been helpful. I hope it's been encouraging. Yep. Um, yeah. Email well, us because here on Shades Midweek, you're part of the discipline. <laughs> if you're interested in being uh, the first person to be formally disciplined by Shades Valley, <laughs> you can attend the Root Seminar this Sunday and find out more about church membership, join the church. That's right. And read the church membership. Read the church membership. Paperwork. Yes. Uh, the Root Seminar is happening this Sunday, immediately after the service upstairs. <clears throat> Child care and lunch will be provided. You can register now through Church Center. We're going to answer any questions you may have about church membership. You can find out about our affiliation with the EFCA, all that good stuff. Um, if you just show up, so if you're interested, come on out. It'll be a fun time. We've got a good group already registered, so very excited about it for sure. Cool. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other announcements that are – oh, Ash Wednesday service, by the way. It's coming up. Wow. Sooner than yeah, you think. Yeah, February the Sooner 14th. Sooner than you think. And how, can so, you remember, and how can you remember that? Yeah, have a romantic date at Ash Wednesday, especially if you're married. You know, Come think about death and remind one another, till death do we part. We will actually be starting out with a Justin Timberlake song. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Dash Wednesday service. It's coming up. If you want to know about what's going on at Shades Valley, subscribe to the email. Go to shadesvalley.org. Scroll down to the bottom of the website. Put in your email. It's that simple, folks. It comes out once a week, usually on Wednesdays or Thursdays. It's got all the info you need. Lovely. Cool. All right. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Pastor Facts. Pastor Facts. <laughs>